Hello, and welcome to a very special bonus episode of the Loading Podcast. First things first, West can't be with us for this little opening section tonight because he is busy launching the Neck Deep merch store. So, if you've got some spare pennies and you like yourself a little bit of pop punk, head over there, chuck him some money, pick up some merch, support the pop punk scene and all that, yada, yada, yada. But on to what we've got coming your way because this is a really cool episode. Um, we love talking about Tony Hawk's Pro Skater because, as we mentioned, that game has had a huge impact on how we've developed as people and our music taste and everything else. So we thought we'd do some more talking about the Tony Hawk's Pro Skater games because why not? They're important games. But joining us in today's episode, we've got the one and only Steve Caballero, yes, one of the biggest skateboarding legends of all time. I mean, we're talking about one of the earliest members of the Burns Brigade, a guy who's credited with inventing numerous skateboarding tricks, including the frontside board slide, the fakey backside 360, um, one of the first ever skateboarders to release a professional skate shoe. The man is, the man's huge, like he's huge and he's worth a lot of money, but he's the most one of the most humble people we've probably ever spoken to. Like, such a nice guy, such a sound guy. And not only is he a skateboarding legend, but this guy has been a huge part of the punk rock scene in California. I mean, he's played bass and electric guitar in bands such as The Faction, Odd Man Out, Shovelhead, Soda, and now he's in a brand new band called Urethane. So we spent some time with Steve talking about just what it was like growing up as a skateboarder in the 70s and 80s, changes in the skateboarding scene, um, what he thought of the games, because Steve was introduced into the Tony Hawk's Pro Skater series from Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2 onwards. Um, he was responsible for getting bands like Body Jar and Millen Collin onto the soundtrack because he was friends with those guys. So he put in a good word and got them on. So we spoke a little bit about that. There's some really cool stories in there, but also just learned more about some of his musical escapades, which are pretty mad to be fair. I mean, he's played on stage with Blink-182, um, Metallica, I think he was saying. Like, he's played on stage with all of these huge bands and was just so blasé about it. Just like, no, it's no big deal. Like, he's like, no, it is. Um, his new band, their album is coming out soon. Um, check them out on socials. I mean, you'll hear the name again during the actual episode, but it is Urethane. That's U-R-E-T-H-A-N-E. Um, a little bit of cool info. They've got the vocalist from H2O and the vocalist from Pennywise doing guesties on the album, so we can't wait to hear this. But yeah, I'm going to stop chatting now and we're going to dive straight in because we really enjoyed this. Um, hope you guys enjoy it too. As always, if you do like the episode, please share it with your friends, support us on socials. You can find us at loading underscore podcast and that's it. Right. Cheers, guys. Awesome. Right. So, Steve, first up, really appreciate you doing this. Like, thank you so, so much. Um, just to give you some background, me and West grew up playing the Tony Hawk's Pro Skater games. Um, like a lot of people our age, it's 
safe to say the game's pretty much changed our lives, like introduced us to our favourite bands, like friendship circles and stuff like that. So these were games that were really, really important. Um, what I'd like to get out of today, if it's all right, is um, this podcast is kind of like exploring the relationship between video games and music in particular. Um, music has obviously got some really strong links with the Tony Hawk's Pro Skater series. You've been in loads of bands throughout your life. I read that you got, I think, Millen, Colin and Body Jar, I think, on the Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 3 soundtrack. Is that correct? That's true. Yeah, so it'd just be cool to like learn more about how all of these bands ended up getting on the soundtracks. I'd love to learn more about your musical influences, um, some of the stories from when you were playing at gigs and stuff like that. But just to start with, Steve, could you tell us more about how you actually got into skateboarding and kind of like what the big movements were in the skate scene throughout the 70s and the 80s? <sighs> So a lot of changes. <laughs> <laughs> How long have you got? <laughs> That's like, yeah, where do I start? Mm-hmm. Um, well, basically, I got into skating because um, it was something that was uh, uh, very attractive to me. Um, you know, very challenging, something that I did with the neighborhood kids. We either rode bikes or rode skateboards, you know, and... Um, Everybody in our neighborhood at least had some type of skateboard, you know. Um, we also had uh, skateboard magazines that we would look at uh, when I'd go to the like the, uh, the convenience store, uh, go buy candy, and then I'd look at the skateboard magazines. And also, um, you know, it was just it was just something that was very attractive, like. Uh, there were things happening in Los Angeles that weren't happening in, in Northern California, in San Jose, where I lived. Um, I, I saw that there were um, skateboard parks being built um, in Southern California. Um, not only were, were people riding skateboards in pools and building their own ramps, but there's actually places, um, I want to say around 77, 78, uh, so they were starting to build these little skateboard parks. Um, they were privately owned. Um, they weren't city owned. So people were investing money into these um, places for people to skate. And I ended up coming down to Southern California one time on a trip uh, with my, my, my father and one of my best friends. And we stopped off at the Concrete Wave, what was in Anaheim. And it was the very first skateboard park ever I ever skated. Um, and after I Got my membership and skated there. Um, I just fell in love with it. And I wanted to skateboard all the time. Um, and then I would say about maybe six months later, uh, I heard there were going to be some skateboard parks being built in Northern California, uh, where I was from. And the skate parks were called Winchester Skate Park and Campbell Skate Park. And once those were built, I ended up getting my membership there. And I would go every weekend and skate. And... Um, Eventually, I got on the team, which led me to travel uh, around the Bay Area to skate other skateboard parks and um, enter competitions, which led me to come down to Southern California to enter a competition. I got noticed by a gentleman named Stacy Peralta, who was a pro that I looked up to, who wrote for GNS Skateboards. And um, after his career was pretty much ending, 
he wanted to start his own company called Pau Peralta. Um, and he ended up sponsoring me as an amateur skateboarder um, in 1979. And that, that's, that's how pretty much I got into it. And yeah. Got into like, uh, but I could go on and on and on. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. what's happened since uh, my introduction to skateboarding and playing it on a television you know, in a video game. I mean, there's so yeah. much that's gone through <laughs> since then. You'd be here think, for hours. <laughs> I think it's strange that you mentioned that, like how people did get into it through the TV and a video game. Like my first introduction to skateboarding was through the first Tony Hawk's game because I'm yeah. from like a small village in North Wales in the UK and we didn't have, I mean, it wasn't a thing. We didn't see people skateboarding around. And I think for me and a lot of my friends, that was kind of the gateway into it, which is yeah. an interesting thing to think about where you were obviously there towards the beginning of it and then we're here just like playing it on a TV first and then thinking, oh, cool, I should try that. Well, yeah, I mean, technology, I mean, back when I first started skateboarding, there was like really no, um, there's no VHS chat, uh, tapes. I mean, mm-hmm. nothing was really available on television. Um the only, my only access to skateboarding was through magazines. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I there was no cell phones back then. There was no video games back then. Um, so yeah, I've, I've seen it. So basically, social media would would be the the platform. The, what it was, uh, what that was attracting skateboarding to me, mm-hmm. and that was print magazine. Yeah, something I'd love to know more about. Like, what were like the social cliques? in skateboarding like back then? Because I know like you think of skateboarding now, you've got like the hip hop kids, you've got the punk rock kids. Um, I spoke to Mullen um, a couple of months ago and he said when skateboarding came about, the whole vert skateboarding thing actually came from like a surfer scene and you had these like surfer guys who were kind of like at the forefront of skateboarding. Can you tell us more about that? Because from what Mullen was saying, it seemed like you had these surfer dudes, they had like their own way of skateboarding and then kind of like a new generation of like punk rock kids came into the scene and then it kind of took off from there. Oh, I mean, I, I, I live like 40 minutes from the beach, so the surfer scene wasn't really around me. Yeah. You know, I, mm-hmm. I grew up in, in um, Silicon Valley, which is in San Jose, yeah. where I see all the tech, tech, you know, is, is there now. Um, but for my, for me, I was just kind of like a neighborhood kid that used to like to ride um, bicycles, you know, um, and, you know, the, that, that, that surfer scene wasn't really around. So I didn't really know anything about yeah. it. Um, I was, I was born and raised in a neighborhood that was predominantly black and, and Hispanic, you know, and if there was any group of Caucasians around there, we, um, it was really small. Mm-hmm. So the, the music that I was into was kind of pretty much like R and B and, um, uh, disco or, or, uh, you know, something like that, you know, mm-hmm. um, was, I wasn't into rock and roll. You know? <laughs> so, um, when I got into skateboarding, I went, I traveled to the other side of town, um, which was complete opposite. And a lot of the guys at the skateboard parks, uh, were listening to rock and roll. So that was pretty my, 
pretty much my introduction to rock and roll. Uh, if I probably wasn't going to a skate park or, or, or going on that side of town, I probably wouldn't have been attracted to uh, that type of music. So after I went to the skateboard park and made friends there, um, I, I was listening to what kind of music they were playing with, uh, with the cassette tape and their, and their stereos. And it was like ACDC, Cheap Trick, and Aerosmith, you know. And I would have never, ever even wanted to listen to those bands, but because they were listening to it, and that I felt like that was the choice of music for skateboarder. Mm -hmm. um, I wanted to fit in. You know, yeah. so I told my mom to drive me to Tower Records and, and so I could go buy those three tapes so I could be a, a skateboarder. <laughs> <laughs> and then from from then on, the music kind of changed really uh, drastically. You know, um, it went from rock and roll to new wave, you know. And then I was starting to listen to bands like Devo and, and Gary Newman and Missy Persons. Um you know, B-52s, the cars. And then all of a sudden in 1980, uh, I hear about, you know, this band, the Sex Pistols and then the Ramones, um, the Dead Kennedys. Uh, and then I just started uh, searching deeper into that type of music. I could tell that that musical influence was changing, you know, and... I started getting into uh, L.A. punk bands like, uh, you know, Adolescents, Social Distortion, Circle Jerks, the Buzzcocks, you know, the Clash. Um, and then from then on, I just fell in love with, with uh, that type of music because it was hard. It was aggressive. Uh, it was spontaneous. And that's the feeling that I got with skateboarding. And I felt like they kind of went hand in hand with each other. Mm -hmm. So that type of music kind of stuck with me and as a skateboarder um, uh, in the environment that I was with. But um, just like skateboarding, uh, it wasn't very looked at very much as uh, something that was very popular, respected, you know, um, and neither did was uh, punk rock music either. It was just kind mm -hmm. of like a, a DIY type of like underground you know, you didn't have to be really good at skateboarding to enjoy skateboarding. You didn't have to be really good at playing music to enjoy punk rock music, you know. So they kind of went hand in hand. But the more that you put yourself out there and did these things, you actually actually ended up developing a skill, you yeah. know. And, um, you know, and I became professional at both those things <laughs> over time. <laughs> and so now it's just interesting that, Skateboarding is now respected as a, as, a, as a legitimate sport because team sports were the things back in the early, late 70s, early 80s that were respected. And now this year, you know, skateboarding is, is made its way into the Olympics, which is the ultimate place to be as a respect as an athlete, you know. And punk rock music has kind of gone that same way too. Um, it was looked at as very like, um, not very very well respected and mm -hmm. a lot of bands have come out of the early stages of learning to to love the music and like so i'm in a new band right now um called urethane and we just finished a 12 song record that's going to be released in september that's class. and all my music influences that i've had from first learning about punk rock in 1980 you're going to hear them in this new band now um and 
you know, I'm super proud of this project and, and, uh, and it's all due to all my influences from skateboarding to punk rock to everything that's gone in between when I first discovered both of them. Mm-hmm. You said something there with, um, when you were, you were talking about punk music, you didn't exactly have to be like a crazy, like good musician to start playing and to have something like tangible from it. That's, that's, probably one of the reasons that I got into the similar type of like music when I was a, a bit younger was just because I would hear these bands like Aerosmith or something like that and hear them like playing these solos and I'd be like, I can never play that. That is ridiculous. <laughs> like I'm never going to be able to do that. So like finding a genre of music for me that I heard like on like record or something, I could go, I can do that. I can play like these four or five chords kind of, I don't know, that cemented something in me when I was younger as well. So it's cool to hear it coming from somebody else as well. No, it was, it was cool. When I, um, I started a band in 1982 called The Faction, and I, I started out playing bass. And I remember um, being in the studio recording our first 45 and thinking to myself, man, I've only been playing bass for six months, and now I'm in the studio making our own record. You know, so I was really tripped out about that. I was like, oh, it's really cool that we can actually do this ourselves. Yeah. You know, so um, it just, it, it made me fall in love with uh, the fact that I could play music, be in a band, and people like the same style of music, you know. Um, yeah. So I felt like I kind of fit in that way as a musician as well. Mm-hmm. So, um, and over time, I learned how to play the instrument a little bit better and, and better. And then I switched to guitar and, um, I've gone back and forth between bass and guitar over the years, and uh, but uh, I just love uh, the freedom that you get, the creative, the creative freedom um, with music, and it does go hand in hand with art. And um, you know, I just finished a tour uh, um, just this last week. I was out for five days uh, with punk rock and paintbrushes, and it's all about the music scene and, and the art scene and how they all kind of mesh together. And our common denominator through all that is skateboarding, you know, mm-hmm. so. Absolutely. How important do you think the games has, have been then for like the wider discovery of like music, like punk rock bands in particular? Like for me, it was a case of when, well, West, you're probably the same. Like, we're, we're, what, nine years old, I think, when we first started playing Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. And, We've been around that, yeah. Yeah, and we're getting introduced to bands like Suicidal Tendencies, Goldfinger, Ramones. Like, we're not going to hear those bands as a nine-year-old otherwise. Do you know what I mean? Like, unless our, like, parents are, like, proper into, like, punk rock or, like, hardcore or whatever else. And, like, mine were. I don't know about yours. Mine definitely were not. (laughs) For us, these games were, like, so important for shaping our own music tastes. Like, if you're still very active, like, in the punk rock scene now, Steve, like, do you often hear from, like, other people within the scene, like, uh, because of Tony Hawk's, like, I discovered this band, or because of Tony Hawk's, like, I'm doing this and I'm doing that. Like, how important were the games for music, do you think? Uh, Very important. Um, I'll tell you, to be honest, um, the video game got a really bad rap when it first came out. Because uh, a lot of hardcore skateboarders felt like it was taking kids away from actually doing it in person and rather Mm -hmm. just playing it, you know, um, on television. But for me, I've always looked at any kind of um, 
media or any kind of outlet to be a positive outlet. I mean, even like the X Games were looked looked. Um, you know, all there is always a hardcore group that wants to control and be selfish with 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 it. You know, and I'm sure it, that happens with punk rock too. It's like as soon as a, a band. Uh, gets famous and, and gets on the radio, it's like it's not liked anymore because now this band that I discovered, now everybody likes it yeah. and everybody wants to be part of it. And so to me, I think that those guys are the real posers. The guys that are the core guys, they say, hey, you know, I discovered this band, it's my band, and now everyone listens to it. You guys are a bunch of posers. Like, no, the guys that don't want to share it are the posers. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because now they don't like this band anymore because everybody likes them. Not because they're not good. It's because everybody likes them. So um, for me, you know, even like with all the, the media and everything, I always welcomed it. It didn't matter if outside companies that had nothing to do with skateboarding were putting in money to just promote skateboarding. Um, I was all for it, always. And I knew that when you did that, it would benefit everybody in a positive way because it would, it would just share the love of skateboarding, maybe share the love of punk rock music to the world, which makes things happen, you know, um, Mm -hmm. to eventually, um, uh, skateboarding being, uh, known worldwide, punk rock music being known worldwide, um, to now, you know, there's a public skateboard park in every city that you can actually go and skate for free. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to pay. And it was I'd never in my wildest dreams when I first started skateboarding in 76, uh, you know, 12 years old, that I could actually go to a skateboard park for free in any kind of any city I wanted to. You know, so that's a dream come true. Um, but back to the video game and back to, um, you know, being influenced and, um, you know, like I said, it wasn't very well re- recepted. Yeah. But when I looked, back hindsight now the, the tricks that i see these kids doing i was doing those with my thumbs in 99 2000 and never <laughs> would i imagine i would do like uh, i would see a kid do like a 360 kick flip to a, a grind to a flip out of a ledge or a rail i mean that was you just dreamt that with your with your hands and now when i see it in, in person uh, it's amazing to me, and I have to say that that Tony Hawk's Pro Skaters game was a huge influence to where skateboarding is now, and where where kids can can imagine what they can do. And I always feel like everything that we do starts with a dream or a thought, whether you're an artist, a musician, or an athlete. And and the game has really helped us open up our imaginations to what's possible. Yeah. You know. Uh, everything starts with a thought or a dream and we make it a reality because we believe in it. We believe in ourselves and we push the limits to get to that place. And the game has really, really enhanced the sport in so many ways. Mm-hmm. When you've had guys going like, dude, what are you doing playing that video game? Just like <laughs> put that thing down, get off your television and go outside and do it. Mm-hmm. Well, now that these guys are doing tricks that, yeah, are are crazy. I can't believe what's happening. <laughs> yeah. It's almost as if the games help them plan like this crazy like line that they're gonna do. 
It has. And, and, mm-hmm. and back to uh, the popularity and, you know, at first, when I first got into skateboarding, um, when I turned pro in 1980, people would ask me what I did for a living. I said, well, I'm a professional skateboarder. And then their next question is, well, can you make a living off that? Mm-hmm. You know, when X Games started in 95, um, and people asked me, hey, what do you do for a living? Um, and I would say, um, I'm a professional skateboarder. And they'd be like, oh, are you in the X Games? You know, and then so it changed. And then mm-hmm. so now it's like years down from the line, it's like when people ask, what people do for a living, I'm sure, I'm sure the next question is, oh, are you hoping to, uh, to get into the Olympics someday? Okay. You know, and unfortunately in our society, money drives things. And uh, when people see that you can make a lot of money off a certain trade or, or a creative outlet, um, it tends to be respected, you know, and, and, and put on this pedestal. And that's the sadness of, of our society and how people respect things is, um, because of how successful you are monetarily, not the fact that you just mm-hmm. love this and, you know, you're creative in a way where you share things with the people that have common goals and, and, and want to be influenced, encouraged that way. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so I've seen it go from no money to millions and millions of dollars. So, How is that for the actual skateboarders themselves? like you and your friends to go from like, all, like you were doing well, obviously like before the games came out, but for the games to reach this level of like astronomical success that I think a lot of people didn't see coming because those games have done very well. Like all of the skaters who were in those original games, like still seem insanely grounded. Like there's still normal people. There's still cool guys and girls, like despite how well they've done off that game whereas in and skateboarding in general whereas in other industries it might be a case of like people make some money then they go off and their egos get really big or whatever else but all of the skateboarders have like stayed really grounded why do you think that is um i i, I know i don't know i can't really speak for any individuals mm-hmm. and stuff but um we all have egos you know just some are just bigger than others yeah you know we're, we're all um, have issues, have problems, famous or not famous. Um, you know, everyone's struggling with something, you know? Um, so it really depends on your background and your family life and how you're brought up and how you approach life. And, um, you know, like life's not all about just being successful, making a lot of money because that doesn't bring you happiness. Yeah. You know, I, I know that firsthand. Yeah. Um, cause I've lived it, you know? Um, I've had a taste of it. Um, so uh, I can't speak for everybody else, but I can mm-hmm. speak what works for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know. Yeah. I think it, it might even be along the lines of like, it's something that you are passionate about and enjoy doing. And now that a nice byproduct of that is that you just get to do it all the time and not really have to concern yourself too much with like a normal nine to five job. That's how it felt for me. I, I played like in a band and that would be, what what happened with us we kept going and going until we made some money and then now we just get to enjoy doing that and that is our job so to speak even though it doesn't feel like one yeah i mean that that's an argument that i'll mm-hmm. always have with people it's like you know mm-hmm. how, you know what is it like to not have a real job well mm-hmm. a real job what does that mean is that something that yeah. you don't enjoy enjoy mm-hmm. doing <laughs> yeah 
it seems, seems, seems like people who have real jobs don't really enjoy those things. You know? <laughs> yeah. I enjoy my, my non-real job if, yeah. if that's what they want to call it, <laughs> you know, because I have mm-hmm. the freedom to do whatever I want mm-hmm. on my own time. I'm my own boss, you know, um, but I have the freedom to uh, make it grow or make it as minimal as possible. So mm-hmm. um, I put in a lot of work um, to, to get where I'm at. Mm-hmm. It's not nothing has been handed to me. You know, mm-hmm. I put hours and hours of work, you know, um, so just in a different way, you know. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's been a collective of, of different types of jobs and people who have the same passion and same drive to, to make something successful. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm on the creative out, uh, athlete, um, you know, part of it. Um, there's other people that work behind the scenes to help me be who I am, you know, but also I give them the ability to have a job to go to nine to five to sell mm-hmm. the products that are endorsed by me or by them. Um, and you know, so it's, it's teamwork, whether, um, you're shipping the products, you're, you're screen printing the boards, um, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're on the phone all the time with, with manufacturers to the guys, you know, to like myself, just trying to promote the company and yeah. grow the sport and, and make it excite, make it exciting for people to want the product. So it's, it's a team effort, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, I just, you know, I, I, I like, I like to, to, I'm an entrepreneur and also I'm an artist in a way where I like to see things develop from nothing to something, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I put a lot of work and thought into, uh, what works and what doesn't. And the years of experience has helped me with the wisdom of business and I can see it from far away. What's going to work and what's not going to work. So I kind of separate myself from certain things that I feel that are negative in my life and, and feel like, you know, I, if I put a lot of work into that, it doesn't seem like it's going to pan out. So I'll just move into a different direction. And that's kind of the same way that I approach skateboarding. So I would try all these tricks. Uh, some tricks were super hard, harder than others. I would kind of stay away from the really, really hard ones that would, I would take days to learn rather than to try to learn an easier trick and, and build my repertoire of bag of skateboard tricks um you know uh, so i just use the skateboard mentality of, of failing to succeed in everything that i do yeah yeah good outlook <laughs> something it's still working i guess oh definitely <laughs> definitely <laughs> seems to be working yeah uh, marriage wise not really but oh. <laughs> relationship wise hasn't been working but yeah uh, other than that uh every business aspect that I've put myself into has been pretty mm-hmm. successful in a way. Awesome. And the, the bands as well, Steve, we can go, cause the bands have been successful as well. Right. Like, can you just talk us through what it was like? Cause we've, we've heard about what it was like skating, like what kind of gigs you, were you playing back then? Like what venues were you playing and like what kind of kids were coming down to the shows from, um, from the faction gigs right up to the, um, shovelhead gigs and stuff like that. Um, well, faction was my first band that, uh, was part of it was a punk rock band yeah. with a bunch of skateboarders that I met at the skate park in 1980. 
Um, all the parks closed, so I ended up uh, building a, 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 a ramp in my backyard. And so that's where I would skate uh, because there was no place to skate anymore. Uh, that's that's the time of the crash of skateboarding, skateboard parks. Um, you know, we all had to go out and try to find our own way. And I built a, uh, a ramp in my backyard. Friends would come over and uh, we'd, we started going to shows together, punk rock shows. And from there, I started collecting the records and just listening to the music and wanting to learn how to play bass. And then from there, we just started a band. And it was 1982. We formed uh, the faction through just skateboard buddies. We played local gigs around. Uh, we made our own records. I made my own T-shirts. Uh, my dad owned a printing shop. I printed my own T-shirts and, and uh, stickers. We made our own zines because uh, skateboard magazines were, were, were no longer as well. So we, yeah. we Xerox uh, pictures and made our own. Mm-hmm. I made a, a, a zine called Skate Punk that covered the skate scene and, and punk scene around San Jose. Um, by, 19, by, by 1983, we put out an album on our own. By 1984, um, we went on our own tour around the U.S. I played bass. We traveled all the way for 30 days in a small van. We went all the way down to New York and to, to Miami. Uh, we played CBGB's. Oh, wow. Uh, that's, that's a claim to fame for me uh, in yeah. 1984 to so play there with JFA, uh, a punk band that uh, was uh, I was um, influenced by. And, and, and because they were skaters, too, um, helped me form the faction, you know, gave me mm-hmm. that um, that. Um, inspiration yeah. um, to uh, put in another album. And then by 1985, I switched to guitar because uh, bands like uh, Social Distortion, The Adolescents really got me like, oh, we should have two guitars in the band. It would sound really powerful, really melodic and cool. Mm-hmm. So we toured the U.S. again. We brought a band with us and we played CBGB's one, one more time as well um, and just toured for the the U.S. on our own, you know, never yeah. um, sponsored by a, a major label. Mm-hmm. And by 1985, we kind of broke up because the uh, the punk scene was getting a little rowdy and weird with uh, skinheads um, mm-hmm. kind of just ruining their whole their own scene, mm-hmm. you know. Right. Um, and uh, it was just we were getting it wasn't fun anymore, you know. Um, so then um, a couple years later, I started a, a kept playing guitar and I, I, uh, I hooked up with our bass player for the faction and we, um, we started another band called Odd Man Out. And that was a band that was a little bit a different type of music. At that time, I was really into the Mission UK, um, into uh, U2, uh, The Cure. Um, so I started getting into that kind of style type of music. And, but I was still getting booked at punk shows because I they knew I was in the in the factions yeah. punk band, but here's this other band called Odd Man Out. It was more mellow or yeah. know, a different kind of singer. Yeah. So it was kind of an odd mix of uh, being associated with punk bands. We went a punk band, you yeah. know. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, we did that for a while. Um, that broke up after after a while because I was um, const- This is when skateboarding was starting to get really huge. This was yeah. 1987, 88 and mm-hmm. skateboard was huge. And I was traveling all over the place. I was going over to Europe and, um, and we, we made, we, uh, made all these videos. Uh, now skateboarding was 
now being um, pretty mainstream. You know, we started in some some cool um, movies like Police Academy 4, which was also attracting skateboarders um, in that sense as well. Yeah. Um, so, so I left that band um, and then um, started another band in uh, the early 90s called um, Shovelhead, like you said. And that was more of kind of like I was going downtown a lot and going to clubs and watching bands play and the whole like kind of rock and grunge um, you know, was going around and, and still, there was still a lot of the punk scene was going on, but, um, the guys that I, I hooked up to play with, um, just the band that we put together was, was tended to be more of like kind of an alternative grunge rock band, yeah. you know, and here, once again, we're starting to like get play with punk bands, <laughs> which was kind of like not really the same style of music. Yeah, but mm. I think because of my association with skateboarding and, and my first band, I was tainted of like oh, you're gonna just be playing always the bands all the time, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Uh, to the to the point where I quit that band Shovelhead, and I'm like, man, I need to start a punk band because that's pretty much what all I listen to. That's yeah, what people yeah. Here, so then I ended up uh, in '95 when X Games was super huge. The Warp Tour just started. Um, I started a band called Soda, and that was like a power pop band with the female yeah. singer. And we played uh, the Warp Tour a few times on a side stage, and that one was the one that I felt was radio friendly and um, very melodic. And, yeah. and all the guys were really good, great musicians, and we put out a really good album. That's the one I felt like that was going to be the band that I was going to make it in and be able to tour and everything. And then because of some internal things of getting along with some of the members, mm -hmm. um, I left, I left that band yeah. um, after 11 months. And I, I felt like my sanity was more important than the fame and fortune that was going to come out of that. Mm -hmm. And that's how I am with things. If I don't enjoy them, I don't really care how successful it's going to be. I need to enjoy it. And I need to uh, feel like I have the freedom to express myself and, yeah. and not have all these issues and all this negativity, you know, um, so I didn't play in bands for a long time and just continued to do like these little faction reunions. Yeah. Um, over the years up until last year, we played our very last faction reunion. Um, you know, and I said, I just kind of want to call that quits. Um, because I felt like there was no room for improvement, creativity. We're just playing the same old songs that we yeah. wrote in the eighties. Yeah. You know? Um, not, not that, um, it wasn't fun playing them, but, for me as a musician, I like to keep growing. And, um, so I, I just started, I started a new band here and, uh, like I've got together with a group of guys that are very, um, professional players and, uh, very creative and, and very fun and outgoing. And, and I feel like this, I finally arrived. And when you guys hear this band, I think you'll think so too. And this one, yeah. this, this is one band that I feel like, would definitely fit in very well in the Tony Hawk Pro Skater dance for sure. Yeah. Get it on the next one. Get it on the next one. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'll be shooting yeah. some music to them, too, if they ever come out with another one. <laughs> oh, dude, get it in there. <laughs> definitely. Yeah, I'm excited to hear it. Did you say it's... when? When's it releasing, sorry? Well, our first single... The album's done. Our first single releases on the 28th of this month. Cool. And we're going to release a single... Um, every month so the second one will be probably august 25th then right before the album comes out in september we're going to release another single um and i think it, it the single comes out in september 
around 25th, 26th, yeah. Awesome. I can't wait to hear it. If it comes, oh, if it's the 26th, that's my birthday. What a great present. Oh. Uh, <laughs> there we go. <laughs> I, I think I got the date right. It might be, uh, I know we're playing some shows right then. We're playing yeah. a record release party, but I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. It may come out digitally before. Mm-hmm. Um, but we had just announced it, um, you know, a week ago that, that we're coming out with an album. Awesome. Yeah. I'm excited to give it a listen. Can't Thank wait. you. Yeah. Appreciate it. How did you, um, I'd love to know then, how did you meet the Millen and Body Jar guys then? Because they were some of my favorite tracks from the series. And I'd love to know like about yeah. how you, how that relationship came about and how you got those songs on the game as well. Because was it a case with the soundtracks that a lot of the skaters in the game kind of like chipped in with their own personal suggestions or what was that process like? Yeah, I believe so. I believe that, um, being in, and I was in, I wasn't in pro, pro Tony Hawk's pro skater one. Mm-hmm. I played that game religiously and learned how to play it, but I, I ended up uh, getting to become a character in number two mm-hmm. and then three and then four and then whatever came out after that. Um, the way that I met Mill and Colin was actually really cool. I was at a um, local skate shop in San Jose and they were giving away these like demo tapes or um, promo copies. It might've been a CD. I'm not sure. Do we have CDs back then? <laughs> when did CDs come out? <laughs> um, I'm not sure the exact date. It would have been like mid nineties, maybe early nineties. Yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, yeah. you know, kind of when, um, I first heard about them, you know? Um, and so I played their song and I'm like, wow, this is pretty cool. It was a really, really cool sounding band. And so then I went on this tour and I went to go look for all their music. So I went to a bunch of record stores and I bought all their 45s. I pulled through the bins and looking for everything that Mill and Colin had produced before I even met them. And um, I remember uh, I heard they were playing, they were going to be playing in uh, San Francisco. And so I had Lance Mountain, my teammate from the 80s, the Bones Brigade, staying with me. And I go, Lance. There's this band called Mill and Colin playing in San Francisco, which was an hour away from where I live. We got to go see them play. This is my favorite band. I want to go see them play. Can you, will you come with me? So, yeah. So I went, bought a ticket, and I was up at the, um, before they got on stage, there was a band to open up for them. And then I went to the merch booth and I was looking at, I wanted to buy a t shirt. Yeah. You know, and I guess their merch guy tripped out that me and Lance were there just at the oh. show and at the merch booth. So he ran. And went into backstage and told Ben that we were out in the audience and, and you know, Steve Caballero was going to buy a T-shirt <laughs> from our booth. So those guys came out and they were super stoked that we were at the show. Um, I'd never seen them play. I got to see them play. Um, and then I got to talk to them after the show. And I was telling them about, yeah, I'm going to be going on this thing called the Warp Tour. And they're like, oh, we're, we got picked to go on the Warp Tour too. We'll be on there in 99. You know, um, I go, well, shoot, and I would love to hang out with you guys, and Mm -hmm. I'm going to be on that tour for a whole month. So when that tour came, I was really looking forward to go on the Warp Tour, the dance Warp Tour, uh, to, to, just to be on it for one, and, and, and to, and to also to hang out with the bands and listen to the music and stuff. And, uh, so I got to know those guys really well. Um, Nicola is, um, a chess player, and I used to, I play a lot of chess, so he would come on our bus every night and we would listen to music and play chess. 
the other two uh, guitarists were skate avid skateboarders, so yeah. we we would skate in the parking lot and wherever they can, they would come to our the ramp and everything and, and watch us play, uh, skate or do our demos. So I got to become really good friends with them um, and over the years. And uh, so when Tony Hawk Pro Skater came, you know, video game came out, they asked us what our, some of our favorite bands and, and what would you like to hear in the game? And the first thing I said was no one calling, you know, so that's how Sick. we got on there. And then the next year, um, went on tour and we went up to Australia for the Vans Warp Tour, and I and I discovered um, Body Jar. Yeah, and uh, I fell in love with them because they were on the tour and bought all their 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 records. And so when they asked me next year, hey, what do you what do you want to hear? I'm like, we we got to put Body Jar on, there, you know. <laughs> and then the following year, I was ended up ended up uh, ended up getting a, a faction tune on there as well. So very sick. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So that's how that's that that how that came about, and so I'm friends with all those all those those bands, and mm-hmm. being on the Vans Warped Tour, I've become friends with a lot of bands, and I've gotten opportunities to go on stage and play a song with them. Um, so I got a taste of, of of being a rock star as far as like playing through you know thousands thousands of people. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just coming on stage, um, I played with bands like. Um, Blink One Eight Two, Let's see. Pennywise, um, Goldfinger, cool. uh, Mill and Collins, Strung Out. Um, you know, so I've played with all those bands at least one time uh, or another. Yeah. When to? <laughs> you're just dropping all of these bombs. That's, just that's like a great resume there. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, and become friends with them as well. So yeah. that's helped this new band as well too. Because so now I got a lot of connections. Hey, there we go. Yes. <laughs> Hooked up. So uh, I'll, I'll drop a sneak peek, but um, we have some guest singers on our new album too. Oh, cool. You know? Yeah, so um, Jim from Pennywise is going to appear on one of our songs. Sick. And I don't know if you're familiar with a band called H2O. Yeah. Um, but Toby Morris is going to be singing on one oh, of our songs. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love, I love how we wanted to do this to like talk about the Tony Hawk's Pro Skater like, series, and you've come on and just now we've got like the most anticipated like punk rock album ever because you're just like yeah we've got <laughs> working on this we've got this we've got that like yeah me and you are here like whoa <laughs> <laughs> well That's like i said the game the game has really influenced the generation you mm-hmm. know um within skateboarding and 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 allowing people to hear different types of music they never heard yeah. before you yeah. know so i uh, hats off to activision for for allowing that and, and allowing us to be creative in that way and listen to our voice, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I think, I think when big companies like that do listen to people and, 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 and kind of go into the, um, you know, the trenches of, of where, mm-hmm. what things are happening, um, the companies end up succeeding in that way because they're, they're true to the core. And I think that's what happened with Vans Shoes. Um, Vans has come from um, nothing to one of the major players in footwear. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. and they could have went a different direction because they got so big and mainstream, you know. But they always came back to the core of where they started. And um, for me, my shoe has been su- super successful on Vans because Vans listened to me and and the yeah. direction I wanted to go with it, 
and that's why this year I'll be celebrating 30 years of my signature shoe called the half cap, you mm-hmm. know, um, because of them listening to me of like, my first shoe came out in 1989, which was a full top high top Caballero shoe. And by three years later, people were cutting my shoe in half. And so <laughs> I started doing that too. I started yeah. becoming trendy and, and I wanted to fit in and be like, I want to be like these new street skaters who are cutting my shoe. So I cut my shoe down and like after the third pair, I'm like, what am I doing? Why don't I just call Vans? So I called them and I said, Hey, there's a new uh, trend going on with shoe to cut my shoe in half. Let's, let's do that. Let's make them that way. A mid top and let's call it the half cab because it's going to be kind of like half of the Caballero shoe. Mm -hmm. And like I said, if they wouldn't have listened to me, I wouldn't be celebrating 30 years of that shoe next year. I can I can and see Wes getting excited that, now with the with shoes. And with my uh, relationship with music and everything, 10 years ago, I, I celebrated my 20-year anniversary. And <clears throat> Metallica had been a huge influence to me growing up. And uh, through skateboarding, I've ended up being able to play, um, um, not, not play with them, but um, I, I've gotten to uh, meet them, go to their shows, um, uh, work with them and collaborate with them. Uh, 10 years ago, we collaborated with, uh, um, with bands. So now I have a signature shoe it, that is, has a Metallica half cap collaboration. And that's like one of my prized possessions in my collection, um, to getting to know the guys. And, um, yeah, so, you know, that's, it's a pretty, that's a pretty, pretty cool thing <laughs> with yeah. music. My- my first pair of uh, skate shoes ever were the Cab Sixes. So this is, oh, yeah, kind of cool. The one with the dragon on the side. I used yeah, to love them things. Yeah. yeah. Re-release them. <laughs> no, I wish I could. Yeah. Um, yeah, there was a stint in my my career, my professional career, and with my relationship bands where I was able to release a new design. And mm-hmm. after we got to the, like, the Cab 8, um, they stopped uh, allowing me to produce new shoes. Yeah. And we just kind of just relied on the half cab collaboration. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, we've, we've done some pretty cool, pretty cool collaborations with Vans. Mm-hmm. You know, and Vans, Vans is, has been a very support, very good supporter with the arts and music and everything. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You only have to look at Warp Tour, don't you? The fact that they had it for as long as they did. It's a shame it's not around anymore. But yeah, the fact that it was just a touring festival, there was it was unlike anything else on the entire planet. There's nothing like that in the UK or in Europe. So yeah. for for us over here, seeing that when we were growing up, that was another thing as well. To just get back to the, the Warp Tour, there is a lot of bands that I discovered as well would be off Warp Tour compilations. So the ones yeah. that would be sold at the Warp Tour, we would be able to buy them in like local music stores, and that's how we'd find like all these new bands on the back. It'd be two CDs, like twenty odd tracks on each, like forty different bands. It's, uh, it's a shame that it's gone. Well, I saw that thing grow from mm-hmm. from barely anything to this major monster. Yeah. You know, um, 1995, I get a phone call from one of my skate buddies saying, hey, I'm on this this rock, skate rock music tour. Um, there's a ramp. There's about six bands, a couple vendors, and they're, they're doing this tour. You want to hop on it? And I'm like, yeah, I'd love to. What is it called? It's, like, it's called the Warp tour i'm like oh okay so i went on it on the west coast side it started in oregon and traveled all the way down 
uh, California. Um, and when I left the tour, I had such a great time uh, because I got to skate twice a day, listen to some bands. Um, and it was these small parking lots, venues. There was only like one bus, one, maybe two stages, one ramp, mm-hmm. a couple of vendors. And I remember there was a vendor, a shoe company there called Simple Shoes. And they were the only shoe company involved in the whole the whole Warp Tour. Mm-hmm. So I go back and I have a meeting with Vance, you know, and I go, hey, we should get on this Warp Tour and have a booth, you know, be sick. You wow. know, there's skateboarding, there's there's music. There was only six bands, you know. Um, and sure enough, I get a call from C. Van Doren. He's like, dude, we're, we're, we're doing the Vans Warp Tour. But now it's going to be called the Vans Warp Tour. Because instead of just putting a booth there, they bought the whole tour. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. And, and this was because I said, hey, you know, we need to be on this tour because this is a yeah. great idea. There's skating, um, you know, and then there's music right there with it, you know. So, um, yeah, and it grew and grew and grew to, to what it was, you know. I was on it for 10 years straight, you know, and I think, yeah, I'm not sure what, how many years it went, went for, but it went over at least 15 years. Um, I think it was, I think it was, I want to say 25 was the final one because my band played it in 14, 15 and 17. And then we did the final one in, I forget the name of it. Um, It was the, I, 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 it, is it? I can't remember the name. It was one of the last cities. It was the one on the beach in 2019. The name escapes me of the city, but yeah, we we yeah. we played like the one of the last ones, which was pretty bittersweet to be honest, because it was it was amazing. There was nothing else like it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, Steve, honestly, like <laughs> so all all of the stories you've dropped. I've just been blown away. I've seen West like smiling throughout as well. Like his tiny little mind, (laughs) his mind's just been blown. Um, (laughs) Just, just to end on, um, it'd be really cool to get your thoughts on why do you think the Tony Hawk's Pro Skater series has been so successful and resonated with so many kids across the globe, whether they were skaters or not? Um, why is the game been successful? Because well, it was very fun and challenging to play. For one, um, they were diving into this 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 new way of uh, presenting video games for people to play, and just I think the the uh, the designers behind it being very creative and listening to just trying to capture the uh, the feeling of, of skateboarding as close as you can and allowing it to be as real as possible. Um, and allowing the culture to sit in as well. Um, not every band listens, uh, or every skateboard listens to punk rock. So on the soundtrack, there's all different types of music on there as well. You know, so I, I feel like, um, you know, with anything, everyone's trying to like be better and do better. You know, whenever I, I filmed a skateboard video, I wanted my next video part to be as, as at least better than the last one, you know? And the fact that, I was able to have actual real skateboarding at the end of the video game, or like you could unlock your character's secret tape and, and yeah. show real skateboarding. You got the tape at the end, yeah. Mata also attracted people 
to the real thing of skateboarding when they saw the just playing video game and all of a sudden, oh wow, they can actually do some of these tricks, you know, and it, it looks super fun. So that in turn, the, the game actually helped me want to skate better and, and produce a better video for the game as well. So there was times where I try to collect as much footage. I'd be filming for some other video and say, hey, can I grab some of that footage because I want to put it in the game as well. So, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, well, thank you very, very, very much for your time today. Really, really appreciate it. It's been great speaking to you. Yeah. I love your action figures too. I, I'm a huge fan of Godzilla. And oh, Dude, it's it's both sides yeah. of the room. Yeah. There's so many. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Some of the old ones up there, the Shogun Warrior uh, ones. There. I got that one. Yeah. With the shooting yeah. the shooting fist. Oh, dude. I found it for we we were away in America and I found it in a flea market. The, the yeah. The Godzilla for like thirty dollars. The guy didn't really know the value of it. And I was like, I will buy that right now. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you had do to fly Ultraman it home. as well? Yeah, love Ultraman, yeah. All right, cool, cool. Yeah, I'm into yeah. into a lot of Japanese <laughs> stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. Japan's have, have had a lot of fun with uh, being creative and, and, and imaginary things, you know, and things mm-hmm. that attracted us. And another a cool thing about videos and, 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 you know, Japan and games and everything, um, just my daughter is, is really into anime. Mm-hmm. And I don't really watch that much, but she said, hey, dad, there's a new one that's come out called skate affinity. It's all about skateboarding. Yeah. So I, wa- I started watching it and got attracted to it. And the fact that she is now, she, I, she started out skateboarding, but then she kind of got out of it and started playing video games. So, mm-hmm. but that actual, that, that anime has gotten her back into skateboarding. That's classic. So even stuff like that, mm-hmm. you know, uh, an anim- animation that has skateboarding in it can also mm-hmm. attract um, people into the sport as well. It's the new Tony Hawk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Seriously, right. Steve, thank you so, so much. Um, enjoy the rest of your day. And um, to everyone else on the call as well, thank you so much for setting this up. It's been awesome. So seriously, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. All right. Thank you guys for listening. See you soon. No Take worries. it easy, guys. Yeah.